Hello， 同情家族，欢迎收听 Look Back Sunday。在这个节目，姜老师会汇整过去不同国家与主题的热门跟读文章，让你可以在十五分钟内吸收最精华的世界时事趣闻。Let's get right to it. How the wealthy world has failed poor countries during the pandemic. Like much of the developing world. Pakistan was alarmingly short of doctors and medical facilities long before anyone had heard of COVID-19. Then the pandemic overwhelmed hospitals, forcing some to turn away patients. As fear upended daily life, families lost livelihoods and struggled to feed themselves. On the other side of the world, in Washington, two deep-pocketed organizations, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Vowed to spare poor countries from desperation, their economists warned that immense relief was required to prevent a humanitarian catastrophe and profound damage to global prosperity. Emerging markets make up 60% of the world economy by one IMF measure. A blow to their fortunes inflicts pain around the planet. Wages sent home to poor countries by migrant workers. A vital artery of finance have diminished. The shutdown of tourism has punished many developing countries. So has plunging demand for oil. Billions of people have lost the wherewithal to buy food, increasing malnutrition. By next year, the pandemic could push 150 million people into extreme poverty. The World Bank has warned in the first increase in more than two decades. But the World Bank and IMF have failed to translate their concern into meaningful support. Economists say that has left less affluent countries struggling with limited resources and untenable debts, prompting their governments to reduce spending just as it is needed to bolster the healthcare systems and aid people suffering lost income. A lost decade of growth in large parts of the world remains a plausible prospect. Absent urgent, concerted, and sustained policy response, concluded a recent report from the Group of Thirty, a gathering of international finance experts, including Lawrence Summers, a former economic advisor to President Barack Obama, and Treasury Secretary in the Clinton administration. The wealthiest nations have been cushioned by extraordinary surges of credit unleashed by central banks. And government spending collectively estimated at more than eight trillion dollars. Developing countries have yet to receive help on such a scale. The IMF and World Bank have marshaled a relatively anemic response, in part because of the predictions of their largest shareholder, the United States. Next article. Our ever-expanding virus vernacular. The coronavirus pandemic has upended all kinds of human behavior, including speech. Conversations are mediated by masks and screens. Their sentences strung together with new vocabulary, medical terms, political mandates, and slang devised to take the clinical edge off. This new vernacular has many people playing virologist in the group chat. With talk of contact tracing and antibody tests, planning social distance activities like Zoom birthday parties and drive-by greetings, and tweeting about life under quar, 
a pet name for quarantine. Self-isolation, social distancing, abundance of caution. Pairs of words I'd never seen together in a sentence back in January have become ubiquitous, she writes. These phrases are moving even faster than the virus. Eye to mind, ear to mouth, disseminated by our iPhone screens and televisions. The proliferation of neologisms and jargon was significant enough to merit updates to the Oxford English Dictionary in April, beyond the dictionary's standard quarterly updates. Social change brings about linguistic change, said Fiona McPherson, a senior editor at the OED. These are permanent additions to our vocabulary. She noted, though, that many of the words aren't new; rather. Their use has become more frequent. Their meanings shifted in the new context of the pandemic. Social distancing, self-isolation, and coronavirus date back decades, even centuries. McPherson said a lexicographer's job is to be descriptive, not prescriptive. We're telling the story of what the words mean, but they only mean that because that's how people are using them. And the stories are never completely finished. Gretchen McCulloch, a linguist and the author of Because Internet, raised the example of face mask, which a few months ago may have called to mind an at-home skincare treatment. Now the phrase immediately evokes the protective mouth and nose covering people have been encouraged to wear to prevent viral transmission. This evolution in the language can be seen as well in the rhetoric of care providers and politicians, which varies by region. The states are on pause or working to flatten the curve. Their residents told to stay home, shelter in place, or remain healthy at home. The World Health Organization has recommended that physical distancing replace social distancing because it more accurately describes the goal of keeping a physical distance while still encouraging safe remote social connection, which is imperative for mental health. Next article: Airlines targeting post-pandemic revenge travel. The blow caused to the airline industry by the COVID-19 pandemic has been especially felt by budget airlines, which mostly operate narrow-bodied passenger jets and have therefore been unable to develop a sideline in air freight during the pandemic. According to one academic's analysis, when the outbreak stabilizes, businesses are targeting a trend in so-called revenge travel. However, she also hopes that rather than the pre-pandemic price wars between budget airlines, the consolidation that has taken place during the pandemic will restore healthy competition in the industry. According to Associate Professor Melody Dai of National Chenggong University's Department of Transportation and Communication Management Science, costs per flight have not changed during the pandemic. But if carriers are required to implement social distancing seating plans, leaving empty seats between passengers, this would eat into airlines' profit margins, causing a fresh headache for the industry. Dai says she hopes that budget airlines will manage to survive, since they help stimulate Taiwan's domestic tourism sector as well as the wider economy.
Dai says that choosing to operate flights during the pandemic is a test of airlines' ability to sustain losses, but the crisis may also prove to be a turnaround for the industry. Dai says there are many variables to the pandemic. She says that once the outbreak stabilizes, if the demand for revenge travel exceeds supply, this could resolve the pre-pandemic situation of supply exceeding demand, which led to price wars among budget airlines. The consolidation that the pandemic has triggered within the airline industry could bring about a return to healthy competition, says Dai. One industry insider stated that, despite the lockdowns and reduced number of travelers and flights during the pandemic, the industry is bullish about post-pandemic prospects for both freight and passenger travel in the flourishing Asian region. The insider added that a trend in revenge travel could cause short-haul routes to become particularly busy. Good job, and thanks for tuning in. 想要收听更多过去的跟读单元以及节目，欢迎到我们官网 www.15minutes.today。有兴趣 John 老师以及其他资深英语老师对谈的节目，记得周末也要回来收听我们同情学英语。Catch you in the next one.